Welcome to BitCast on Podcast One, the video game podcast with the Axeman. Welcome back to the show. Last year, I did not talk about a single Castlevania game throughout all of October, which was a real shame because it seems like kind of a staple of the whole Halloween aesthetic. It is the Halloween series. The only problem is I don't really know much about Castlevania besides memes and anything that's introduced in Super Smash Bros. Ultimate. So I decided to cover that weakness with a guest who actually does know things about Castlevania. Why don't you introduce yourself? Hey, this is Alex. I was on the show once before rambling about puzzles for like, I don't know, hour and a half. Uh, I know some things about Castlevania, so I'm here to talk about those things. Okay. So, aside from what I mentioned, the only real Castlevania experiences I have are I watched a playthrough of Rondo of Blood, which was Richter's game, I believe, and I watched my dad play most of Castlevania 64 when I was young. That's about it. That is an interesting selection, because, the, because neither of those are like any of the archetypal Castlevanias. Uh, Castlevania is an interesting series. I, I've i been kind of an on-off fan of it for a while. I've played a whole bunch of games in the series. Uh, it's kind of odd in that it's one of the like very classic series that uh, has been around for ages. But it's kind of been split into, like, two different genres. There's the uh, classic Castlevanias, which are the uh, the sort of action-y platformer ones. And then there is the Metroidvania-style Castlevanias, which are the, well, they're the games that, like, put the uh, Vania in Metroidvania, literally. Yeah. And those are just two entirely different genres, and... They just kind of coexist. It's very strange. Yeah, if I'm not mistaken, the series went from being a difficult platformer game with Halloween aesthetics to being the Metroidvania that it is now with Symphony of the Night. Uh, yeah, Symphony of the Night is kind of the... It's one of the most classic Castlevania games. Uh, it's the one that occurs immediately after Rondo of Blood. In fact, I believe that you play through the Rondo of Blood final boss fight in the intro sequence to uh, Symphony of the Night, if I'm remembering that whole sequence Yeah, that's correctly. the entire conversation with Die, Monster, and all that stuff. Yes, exactly. Which, uh, fun tangent, I actually found out something. Apparently, uh, apparently, uh, What is a Man? A Miserable Little Pile of Sequence? That's actually a quote from a French author... A French author who canonically shouldn't have uh, actually published the book it was in at the time of at the canon time where that conversation took place, but we'll ignore that. I can't that. believe that author plagiarized Dracula. Anyway, Symphony of the Night was really kind of a turning point for the series, wasn't it? No, I I do believe that there were a few more actually like stage-based Castlevanias afterwards, at least a little bit, and hints of it here and there, and of course the uh, the modern ones on like on like modern consoles are a little bit uh different and occasionally a little bit iffy but we'll we'll ignore those since this is most this is most of the stuff i know is about classic castlevania yeah i remember there were 3d castlevanias eventually besides 64 and if i recall correctly they weren't as well received 
Not really, no. Not from what I understand. The series kind of dropped uh, off, didn't it? Yeah, I don't really, uh... I, I kind of fell off the wagon. I mean... There's the, uh... Most of the mo most of the well-known, like, recent ones are the uh, handheld games, which are all pretty Wasn't good. the last Castlevania in the early 2010s or something like that? Uh, shoot, I actually don't, I actually don't recall when the last one was, but yeah, that actually sounds right. I mean, with the, yeah, the way Konami is, they'd rather make pachinko games, so I can see them not making Apparently. Castlevania anymore. But yeah, uh, Symphony Night was definitely a turning point in the series. It was, uh, it came out during a console generation that Metroid was entirely missing from, and just kind of took the entire genre of Metroidvanias. Kept it warm for you, Metroid. Yeah, basically. But yeah, no, there's, uh, those are the two types of Castlevanias. There are the classic ones where... Where you just go through each stage and like yeah 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 you know the drill it's it's an NES game they all work like this and then there's the Metroidvania style ones where you just explore Dracula's castle and surprisingly enough there's actually it's not actually a sharp line there are actually a couple of older ones that actually are uh, Metroidvanias uh, Castlevania two for the NES is actually a Metroidvania style uh, entry in the series oh, that's interesting. It's also arguably not very good, but I also made a bunch of people mad just now by saying it's not very I, I good. I don't know. I, I, th I think the angry video game nerd might have beaten you to that one. It's... I'll call it a cult classic. It's where we get the other really infamous quote in the series about it being a horrible night. Okay, uh, I, I left this out because it was too minor to remember, but I might as well say it. That is also one of the ones I have some exposure with. I remember my dad kind of played that one when I was young, and I didn't really know anything that was going on. I just knew you were a guy named Simon, you were trying to bring Dracula to life, and then you were trying to kill him. And I was like, well, why did we bring him back to life if we're just killing him? And that was that was That's all correct. I knew about the game for several years. So the story of Castlevania is that is that poor Dracula just wants to have his nice castle, and and a clan of jerks just comes around every hundred years, beats him up, breaks all his stuff, and kills him. And this just happens over and over for the rest of eternity. It's generally very awful. Oh yes, the Starbomb version of Castlevania. I haven't watched that one, but pretty much. Yeah, it's... It's actually interesting. Castlevania is not actually well defined by the Belmonts. There's actually quite a few games in the series that have either nothing to do with Belmonts or just not ha not starring them as the central character. Simply a Knight has Alucard as your playable character, who is, of course, Dracula's son. Yeah, there's common threads to most of the playable characters, but you think Castlevania, you're probably thinking Dracula. It's a, uh, it's definitely a villain series. There are, like, three games in the series that don't star Dracula or a reincarnation of Dracula. It's interesting that Dracula occupies a space as not only a villain from literature and a classic movie monster, but also a classic video game villain. Like, Dracula's got to be one of the few public domain characters to actually exist in Super Smash Bros. Ultimate. Huh, I'm trying to think if there's, like, any th any others that I can uh, think of that are public domain. Maybe Arsene Lupin, if we want to get technical oh, yeah, that counts. Joker's persona. 
And you can actually make them fight each other if you bring Joker to the World of Light fight with Dracula. I bet that exists independently of Lupin versus Dracula. Well, if not, I, I smell our next money-making idea. Oh my gosh, can we just stop recording right now and go start working on that instead? <laughs> so, Alucard, I've... I know that there's a character by the name of Alucard in other Dracula-related mythos. That didn't start with Castlevania, right? No, uh, it's usually, uh... I believe that it's usually, uh, Dracula's pseudonym. He just goes by Alucard because he exists in, like, 17th century Romania and no one can spell. So it's absolutely foolproof. In this one, it's actually his son, which just means that he has a massive ego. Wow. No wonder he hates him. Actually, I, I did a little bit of research. His real name is Adrian, but he named himself Dracula backwards as a sign of how he opposed Dracula. So really, Alucard's the one we should be raking over the coals for that one. Like, really? We should. That's hilarious. You know what, Alex? I really hate you, so I'm going to name myself Zilla. <laughs> awesome. I think I'd be flattered. Um, yeah, no, it's... It's good. Simply the Night is actually a very good game. It's one of the ones in the series that I play the most of, in that I think I played it twice. I mean, I, I'm not that big of a fan of the series, I but I played a whole bunch of games in it. Um, it It's just, like, one of those games that feels good to play. Like, there's not a lot of, like... First of all, there's not a lot of 2D, uh, 2D platformer Metroidvanias that were made in the PlayStation 1 era which is when it was released. And second of all, there's very few that have, like, this kind of, like, s that kind of super smooth movement that he has. Like, the the thing about it is that, like, every action is just, uh... Every action is smooth. You can attack while moving and, like, do all sorts of very, very clean, like... Very clean movements and that. It's really oh, nice. It caught on and changed the series for a reason. Yeah, pretty much. I know Alucard made his Castlevania debut in the third game as... Uh, one of the helper characters for Trevor Belmont. I, I guess they just decided to expand on him for some reason. Symphony of the Night just... It, it was just a, a game changer. It's also actually the first the game that I can think of that has the now really, really classic trope of you start the game very powerful and then lose all your stuff to uh, the first important en enemy that you see along the way. That is a pretty... You start the game with like... That is a pretty common trope. Yeah, you start the game with all all cool end game equipment, and like three rooms in, death comes along and takes it all from you. Yeah, death. He's usually Dracula's right hand man, isn't he? Oh yeah, uh, really consistently. Like death is almost always the uh, the right hand man, and usually the penultimate boss. And on on at least one occasion, he's the actual final boss, if I'm not mistaken. I've apparently forgotten about this, but now I'm curious. I don't remember which game that was. Well, I don't know. It's just something I read once. Death is great. There's so many good classic boss fights in the series that, like, just... It's one of those series that's like Zelda, and it's gotten, like, so many fights that are just references to old fights where they just iterated upon the ideas, and they've just gotten really, really neat with them. Really, really creative. Yeah. The, the death fights, they tend to be highlights, at least in my opinion, just dodging flying size and... So there's different sections of the fan base who some would prefer the classic style, some prefer the Metroidvania style. 
Mm-hmm. I'm inclined to think that the Metroidvania fans kind of got the last laugh in the end because I know that Igarashi, the guy who made most of the Metroidvania games, if I'm not mistaken, in the Castlevania series, he went on to kickstart Bloodstained, which was basically the ukulele to Castlevania's Banjo Kazooie. Uh, yes, pretty much exactly. That is uh, how I've heard it as well. And it's a very Metroidvania style. It is, and it's also a pretty good game from what I hear. Yeah, I, I actually kind of want to get it, even though I don't like Metroidvanias very much. It's just the Switch version is supposed to get patched to be actually good. And I, I, I don't know what the word is on that yet, so I'm kind of waiting there. I've got too many things to buy right now, but Yeah, I'm that too. too. I, I also have too many games right now. A good year for games. Yeah, it kind of is. It's also a really bad year to have a really long game that has four different campaigns going on in it. Uh, I that's gonna be the me from like three weeks from now when I can afford to get three houses. So back to Castlevania. Yeah, we should at least try and stay on topic. I guess. I do like the idea that the Belmont clan are just these guys who are destined to fight Dracula over and over, and they each get more powerful than the last. So, it stands to reason that eventually there would be a Belmont that's just too much for Dracula to handle and finishes him off for good. Didn't that actually happen in one of the games? Uh, yes, but it's been long enough that I don't remember the exact details. The long and the short of it is that the last two canonical games... Uh, occur after the formal defeat of Dracula. There are there are games that are post Dracula. Post Dracula. And uh, yeah, the long and the short of it is that they did defeat him, sealed his sealed away his castle, and everything was good forever. Except, of course, he reincarnates as Selma, who is the protagonist for those two games, and is basically the the heir to the Dracula throne. But he's not a huge jerk, so he kind of doesn't want that, and it's a thing. That's an interesting angle that we potentially just spoiled. This game's like a decade old now, come on. Eh, fair enough. Smash Brothers also kind of spoils it with some of the spirits. Also, dude looks like an anime vampire. It's not that surprising. I mean, in anime, anyone can look like anything. That's true. Do you have any notable Castlevania memories? Gosh, I think... The two Castlevania memories that stick out for me are dying an awful, awful lot in the uh, early NES and Castlevania 4 games, and dying a whole lot in Symphony of the Night. Yeah, the Castlevania games are known for their difficulty. Generally, the uh, Metroidvania ones are a little bit easier because they've got the RPG elements. Yeah. They're still hard. I still remember, particularly early on, there's a couple boss fights in Symphony of the Night that are really brutal. I have to say, a whip is a really interesting choice for a signature weapon, and that probably has caused no shortage of weird hitboxes, like if you get a really small enemy. It's a double-edged sword. I think the whip is actually a very interesting weapon from uh, from a gameplay perspective, especially in the classic Castlevanias. The biggest thing about the whip is that the more power-ups you collect, it does more damage, yeah, but the actual real benefit that you care about is the whip gets longer. And range is absolutely king, like, being able to hit enemies from, like, a good fifth or sixth of the screen away. That's really important when you're trying not to die. The fact that in in most of the classic ones, you can only swing directly ahead of you, unless you're in uh, Castlevania 4. 
it's it's very interesting. It's got some really really important implications for how you fight enemies. I guess that is true, especially with a game that's as hard as it is that you want to keep your designated Belmont in a good spot on the screen, so a whip is a really good weapon for enforcing that kind of mindset. Yeah, exactly. I actually really love how they uh, did the Belmonts in Smash. Let's let's briefly talk about Belmonts in Smash and how, one, they're kind of terrible, but two, they actually are extremely faithful to, uh, like, recreations. They really treated Castlevania with a lot of love, more than almost any other series that is a guest series, I have to say. Absolutely, yeah. It's The, the best and worst things about Simon and Richter in Smash is that they feel exactly like actually playing a Belmont. You got your range, you got your variety, your like, cool toolkit of projectiles. You, you don't have a lot else, and you have trouble dealing with bottomless pits. Yeah, yeah I've had a lot of trouble playing as Richter. Yeah, it's a thing. As the series goes on, they try to get the characters to feel more and more like their source material, as opposed to the early days where Donkey Kong just punches things. Yeah, but now, but now that one's that one's gone backwards though, because now we uh, modern Donkey Kong is a lot more punchy than he used than like he used to be. That's true. But uh, Castlevania, which ones have you played besides Symphony of the Night? Alright, so I have played uh, a little, at least a little bit of all the NES ones. I've played through most of most of four. I've not played Rondo of Blood, unfortunately, because that one's actually quite good, from what I understand. Yeah, I think Rondo of Blood and, by extension, Richter are kind of fan favorites, which... Well, probably helped by their attachment to Symphony of the Night, but I think that might also explain why, going back to Smash Brothers, Richter was made the clone of Simon. Oh yeah. Other than the classic ones, I've played most of the Metroidvania ones, uh, with one exception that I'm forgetting. Uh, which one was it? Ario? No, it wasn't Ario Sorrow. It was. Oh no, I've I've lost it. I've forgotten which one it is. So you think after the first four games, Rondo of Blood and Symphony of the Night, that's when they all start kind of blurring together for me? It's just, okay, uh, musical term plus edgy concept, go! It's, it's hard, actually. I can't, I, like, actually don't remember which ones they are unless I look them up, and I've played through most of them. Was it, was it the one with Jonathan and Charlotte and Jonathan and Charlotte and Jonathan and Charlotte? I don't think so. So, uh, I think it might have been Portrait of Ruin? That sounds sounds right. Shoot, I've forgotten. There's actually way more games in the series than I remember. <clears throat> I don't know, man. There's a... It's a game... It's The series has been around for a long time, and, like, a lot of... It's been, like... It's released on so many different consoles that it's hard to keep track of which games were which. That, that, that is a problem I have with the title schemes they've had for the... Castlevania games. I was kind of being tongue-in-cheek with music plus edginess, but it actually does make it a little hard to remember which one is which if you're not really dedicated yeah. to the series. Yeah, I do appreciate that since it's a Konami series, it's obviously got games released on everything. Like, the original ones were were like NES, there was the, uh, like, I think Ronald of Blood was PC Engine originally, and then was ported to other stuff. Simply Unite is a PlayStation game. Then there's all of, all the uh, portable Nintendo ones. It, it's kind of been on everything, so I think that it means that like 
a lot of people have played like ex like a couple games out of the series, but not the whole series because they didn't own the right consoles for it. I at least that was the case for me. Yeah, we weren't a Castlevania family other than Simon's Quest and 64. I I think my dad at least knew the gist of the original game. I but then again, he does strike me as the kind of person who would just play a second game and not think too much of the implications. That seems reasonable. There wasn't much plot the original game. You go in, you you beat up Dracula, you leave. You beat up Dracula. You just rough him up a little bit. I mean, he comes. he's going to come back in the next game, so apparently. Then again, games were also a lot simpler back then, so you weren't... You didn't have as yeah. much required reading. Yeah. None of the Castlevania games have ever been strong for plot. Simply Unite has, like, one subplot that, is, that isn't directly tied to, like, resurrecting Dracula, and that's about it. There's there's a thing going on with Alucard's uh, mother, and Dr Dracula's bride, of course. And that's kind of a subplot that is vaguely alluded to. That's about it. And there's a good ending and a bad ending. And in, in one, you actually successfully defeat Dracula, and the other, you don't. But that's about it. It's just not much plot. That's interesting, because I thought Castlevania did get more plot-heavy as it went on, but I guess I might be mistaken. It got more plot-heavy in that, like, the, uh, like, Aryo Sorrow and Dawn of Sorrow actually do have NPCs you can talk to, but not really important ones. They do some, uh, some fun ludonarrative stuff where, like, you have to do take certain actions in order to get to the actual good endings, and that's, that's a cool thing. But other than that, it's not much of it. The modern ones, modern, like, 3D Castlevanias, do have a lot more plot, but not really to their benefit. Uh... Yeah. But yeah, no, it's it's been on everything. Like, it, it's in such an interesting place because it was a series that started on the NES and ended up on the, the like, the PlayStation. Which is actually funny and brings me to a to one of my favorite bits of trivia. Since it was right around the time when the PlayStation was first coming out that uh, Symphony Night was released, and Rondo, Rondo of Blood was also on one of the earliest uh, disc-using consoles, if you actually put either Rondo of Blood or Symphony Night, uh, the game disc, into a CD music player, you will actually get a voiceover explaining that this is a disc that has game data on it and to put it into a video game console instead. Oh, yeah, I think I heard of that. Yes, uh, I've also uh, incorporated this into this podcast. If you take this podcast and put it onto a, game, into a GameCube memory card, stick it into a GameCube, it will play you a voiceover of me telling you to stop being dumb and take it back out. <laughs> This was back when game discs were more of a new idea, wasn't it? Exactly. Which is why Simply the Night actually has uh, very well-hidden loading zones. The actual way to get through to each area is a uh, sort of a generic corridor that always like has the same appearance, which actually hides the, uh, the loading, so you never see a loading screen. Castlevania was Konami's golden boy before Metal Gear got popular with Solid. Yeah, I think that's fair to say. It was I'm a, a good series for him. 
I'm a little surprised that they didn't attempt a lot of crossover stuff with them. Like, they could have made Otacon a big Castlevania fanboy or something. I mean, you say that, but there is the Psychomantis scene. Yeah, that's true, but it's not really just Castlevania. He's also talking about Crash Bandicoot, or in the GameCube version, Mario Sunshine and Smash Brothers Melee. Okay, that's true. Come to think of it... I suppose Castlevania games always tend to take themselves surprisingly seriously. Yeah, uh, what is a man? Besides. Besides that, well, even then, that's still, like, I, I was looking into that when I was, like, doing a little bit of research myself to make sure that I didn't say uh, anything that was completely wrong. Uh, apparently, the, uh, the Japanese translation is way more mellow. It's not nearly as excited and doesn't have any quotes from French authors. It's interesting because I've looked up redubbed versions of the scene from later re later releases, and everyone in the comments was like, "We liked the the bad conversation better." I I'm gonna be honest, I do too. I like the bad conversation. Like it's really dramatic and funny, and like it it fits. It there's there's a charm to it that can't be ignored. Yeah, I I like the idea that Dracula is a drama llama. Like I oh think my. that's I think that's a good thing. I saw a comment on their videos like Richter's actor is here for the paycheck. Dracula's actor is here for the Oscar. Oh, it's so good. It's it's always been kind of interesting to me. I don't think there's hardly any uh, Dracula games like or any Castlevania games where we actually see Dracula do anything evil. Like, obviously he's raising an, an undead, unholy army to conquer the world, yeah. But he doesn't really actually do anything bad in general. Like, I think that he has maybe a couple minor kidnappings at one point. I know he spends most of 64 as a little boy, and in Rondo of Blood, Death is the one who interrupts Richter's life, and then there's this wizard named Shaft who's kind of Richter's enemy. And then Dracula is dead for most of two, so I don't really have much eyewitness reports of Dracula myself. Are we sure that Dracula's actually that evil? <laughs> Maybe he's just being exaggerated by the villagers. Yeah, like, he uh, supposedly, supposedly he, like, cursed the countryside and all that. Maybe he just stole the credit for that. Maybe it's all just a terrible coincidence. There was, like, a... Uh... An entirely unrelated, like, Black Plague sweeping through, and, like, the, everyone just blamed Dracula cause, cause, just because he happened to be around. Classic Dracula. Yeah, Dracula is just a Chunibyo, and he just happened to be there when all the undead and the plagues started happening. <sighs> Poor guy. I feel bad for him. <laughs> they have a Netflix adaptation of Castlevania Three. I have, I've never seen it. I have seen some footage of it. I have seen that it seems really good, and I really, really want to watch it. Uh, I've heard people like it. I've heard it's also really gory, though, and that's not really my thing, so I'd probably skip out myself. It's certainly my, uh, more geared for, towards adults. Uh, the well, one thing that I recall... That's not, that's not to say that people who dislike gore aren't adults. Okay, that's true. The one thing I do remember specifically about it is that apparently there is a part where uh, somebody punches Dracula, and Dracula apparently immediately is like, ah, it's a Belmont, as if he could tell by the punch. 
I don't watch this show, but that sounds like a very JoJo thing to have happen. It does. Now I need to get Austin to watch the Castlevania Netflix show. I suppose that makes sense. Like, the, these are the two, like, most well-known pop culture vampires right now. Dracula and Dio. And they're both voiced by Patrick Seitz, or at least some versions of Castlevania Dracula are. I, I The original, like, the first season of JoJo's Bizarre Our Adventure is, in fact, like, is actually just Castlevania. Like, that's straight up what it is. You're almost selling me on this show. Honestly, like, let's let's keep going on this tangent for a little bit. I would honestly recommend the first season of JoJo's to an entirely different audience than the rest of the seasons, just because the first season is, it is just kind of a classic Castlevania story. It doesn't really have the, uh, the same appeal as the rest of the series. I just kind of refuse to watch it because I don't want to give Austin the satisfaction. I already watched Hunter Hunter for him. I don't want to keep watching all his shows. <laughs> I, I do gotta watch more of it. But yeah, no, it's... Well, going back to Castlevania, which I think is my catchphrase for this recording. Yeah. Is... It is interesting how the series has matured over time. It was a game that kids could play on their NES, albeit they'd probably die a whole lot. Yes. And now it's this gory Netflix anime or cartoon, I don't really know, that's got all these mature themes and stuff. And of course, even the games also have a lot of this too. Right. So it's definitely a series that, unlike, say... Zelda, which is still pretty kid-friendly most of the time. Castlevania just decided to grow up. I always find it interesting to look at which long runners do that and which ones don't. Like, Dragon Quest is still pretty whimsical, but Final Fantasy tries to be really edgy. Yeah, no, you gotta, you actually got a point there. That's actually quite fascinating to realize, because you're, you're totally right. Like, the original ones, you can tell in the monster design, too, like, most of the original ones with the uh, the bosses were primarily taken from, like, monster movie tropes. Like, there was a Frankenstein, the Medusa and Medusa heads, that sort of thing. A giant bat, which is, for some reason, a giant bat is one of the uh, trademark Castlevania enemies. Not just as a generic enemy, it's always a boss. Hmm. And that's that's what they always were, and then slowly as the series matured and got other stuff, bo bosses tend to be more references to mythology and various demons and that sort of thing. We've gone from uh, fighting an entire Halloween party to the uh, whole Shin Megami Tensei cast of characters. It never occurred to me, like, just how different those are. Kind of slowly morphed into that over time. That's probably because of the whole gothic horror aesthetic that the series goes for that it, it probably lends itself more to being a mature series over time when they get more graphical fidelity and more space for writing and stuff like that yeah exactly exactly like they were they just had the room to expand more and they did it i i do admit i've got a little bit more fondness for some of the classic like boss designs they're very silly i like them I'm trying to think of when the series actually kind of shifted. I'd say it, it probably was around the time of Rondo of Blood and stuff, if I'm not mistaken. Well, Rondo of Blood was at least at least the time when the art style shifted to become a lot more anime. Yeah, it got a lot more anime, and because they could fit more stuff into the game, that's when they started being more story-focused, if I'm not mistaken, or at least without relying on yeah. manuals. 
like actual voice acting for one and enough story folks to like actually have have a plot even if it is a small plot so you could say castlevania was always intended to be more mature it's just there was nothing really allowing for it in the early days yeah i guess that's i i suppose that castle like the original castlevania is about as mature as an nes game can get especially since it's so difficult it's like little kids Okay, little kids can probably beat any video game with enough perseverance, but... Yeah, let's talk about that. Kids are really good at video games. At the same time as kids are bad at video games, kids are very good at them. Because there is one thing that a small child has that you and I will never possess, and that is an incredible amount of spare time to dedicate to getting really good at something like very inconsequential that they don't care about that much. Yeah, it's 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 kind of the limitation being kind of a blessing in disguise because you don't have all these other things to distract you from the video game you're playing. Yes, I have to pick and choose which video games I actually want to get good at. I have to decide, okay, I'm actually going to spend the time to get really good at Sekiro so I can beat the final boss and like all, everything else in the game. I've realized that I've never actually gotten good at a video game. I just do okay at different video games. That's probably better. I don't think I've ever I've been like actually good at any video games in like the sense that like I would ne- I'm not remarkable at any of them, but I am decent at very many. I've learned enough patterns from different video games that I just kind of kind of know what I'm doing. It's just every time I look at some of our friends talking about some of the hard games they like to play and beat, I just kind of slowly look away and sigh. <laughs> well, you don't like hard games. That's just not your jam, right? No, it's just why I probably wouldn't get into a Castlevania game if you put one in front of me. Probably one of the Metroidvania entries. Well, actually, no, you don't like Metroidvanias. Maybe there's a reason that you haven't played many Castlevania games. Because <laughs> they're either hard or the type of genre that you don't like. I'm willing to try a Metroidvania at least once. It just, I I keep imagining I'm going to get too lost and too distracted. Because I tried to play Kirby in the Amazing Mirror once, and that's exactly what happened. And I was like, well, okay. Okay, to be fair, I remember Kirby in the Amazing Mirror. Maybe this, maybe wrapping back around, this was because I was a dumb kid at the time and didn't know how to do things. But I remember getting really lost and confused in that one. The time I'm talking about was, like, very shortly after graduating high school, so I don't really have an excuse. I just get I just get well, lost in games. Did Amazing Mirror have a very good map? Because uh, the, the map makes or breaks up a, a Metroidvania game. I think my only recent experience was watching a Let's Play of the game. I think it had a passable map that basically told you if there was something in the room and... If there was a pathway to a new room, it didn't really describe what the rooms looked like, though. That's a, that's a struggle. That can be a struggle, because maps are important for uh, Metroidvania games. Like, you have to have a good map, otherwise you're, gonna, you're going to run into issues. How good would you say is the average Castlevania map? Pretty above average. Uh, I believe that Soden has, like, a really good good one. That, that makes it a lot easier, if there's an actual, like, good, clear map that you have access to. I remember them being kind of the same style as Kirby and the Amazing Mirror maps, from what little I've seen. Actually, uh, okay, do you remember that last level in Subspace Emissary in Smash Brothers Brawl? That big one? That had a map, kind of like what I'm describing. 
Gotcha. Okay, I, okay, I remember now then. I remember in a little more detail now. The thing about a good Metroidvania map is that it's got to be really clear what areas you have and haven't explored, and it's got to have a structure to it so you can easily tell, like, okay, this area is a part of this, etc. What about letting you know what thing, like, if there's a thing in that room or not? Do you think that's a necessity for a map, or do you think that should be left to be discovered? It depends on what it is, because, like... Certain things, yes. Save points, obviously, in, like, certain important locations. That's a really good thing to have. Other times, it's better to, like, let you explore on your own or have a uh, some sort of system actually, like, indicate to you, like, in a, in a loose general sense that, hey, you've missed something. Okay, yeah, that's fair. I feel like they should at least alert you to whether or not there's something left to do or grab in that room. It's also to do with what it is, because like if it's just a, it's if it's just like a hidden collectible, that's cool. There, there's some games that like like Super Metroid has like way more collectible missile upgrades and that sort of thing that you don't need and probably won't find your first time playing through or at all without a uh, without a guide. Yeah. And I think that's fine. I think it's okay to just have a. Uh, just have stuff that you won't necessarily find unless you really go out of your way to look for it. There's nothing particularly special about getting 100% completion that you would that would demand that you have a way to find everything. But there are other thing other times when it's not so great where uh like specific collect like specific unique collectibles that are uh important for something they're just kind of left lying around you have to uh track them down and you don't have a way to do it. That could get annoying. The big thing about Castlevania is that you're always exploring Dracula's castle, no matter what type of gameplay you're dealing with. Almost always, yeah. There's, like, very few exceptions. It's always it's always Dracula's castle. And Dracula's castle canonically changes its layout because either due to a curse or because of Dracula's own dark magic, something along those lines... So that kind of yeah. justifies saying, hey, it's Dracula's castle again, but also keeping different layouts and rooms and stuff. Yeah, exactly. I have to wonder if it would get kind of tiring to go through Dracula's castle again and again over the series, even if the layout is different. I'm a little bit more concerned about what this is like for Dracula, because every time he reincarnates... <laughs> Uh, he has to. He has to go fi figure out where all his bathrooms have been moved. Yeah, I was. I was about to segue into some kind of bit about that, but you got to imagine that like, there are sometimes there are sections of his castle that are there in one game, but not there in the next. Like, oh no, this is the version of the castle without the library. What am I going to do when I get bored now? So here's my question: Symphony of the Night. Uh, minor spoilers, I guess, but not really. Uh, if you if you're on the route to the good ending in Symphony of the Night and you, uh, after beating the, uh, the original final boss, you get to go to a second version of the castle, which is upside down. It's just a second castle. Yeah. When, like, this is, this is our Dark World equivalent, because video games need a second world to explore after you've completed the first one. Okay. And I don't know why this exists. I don't know why there's, ha there's a second version of the castle, and I don't know why it's upside down. I'm sure. And I think that's weird. I'm sure if, if we look it up, we could quickly find something like that. But going back to going back to Dracula's castle constantly getting redesigned, like, 
I, I'm kind of aping a joke I heard on a Let's Play about a different game, but you gotta imagine it's like an Extreme Home Makeover episode or something. Oh, it's... Where they just get, like, a TLC special, like, today we're going to be remodeling Dracula's castle, and it just, the camera crew just follows the guy around as he encourages all the workers, and he doesn't actually do all the work, but he's there on camera, at least, all the time. That's great. Now, I... Dracula, we're finally done with your castle. Move the bus! <laughs> and Dracula just sees the castle, and he's like, oh, it's so perfect! So, so is this the is this the part of the process that ends up with with roast chickens in the walls? Like, is this is this how those got there? Because somebody messed up during this process. Yeah, catering left them uh, somewhere, and one of the workers kind of noticed that like the walls weren't really load bearing enough. So, like, uh, quick, put something in to kind of keep them up. Uh, oh, here, here's something, and it's the chicken reinforced with a roast chicken. That's amazing. They'll never notice. There's a lot of magic in the air holding the castle together. A little chicken here and there will be fine. Actually, the entire castle is composed out of magic chicken. It's just like, uh, it's actually just like the, uh, the bricks in Mario games. I was thinking of Howl's moving castle, but instead of that, it just morphs into a giant chicken. Dude, that's the coolest idea I've ever had. I've ever heard. Jimmy Neutron, that giant alien chicken that was actually Dracula's castle. Oh my gosh, it all makes sense now! Ah, oh, it's about time. This is the stupidest that this episode could possibly get, so I think that means it's about time we wrap it up. Probably, yeah. Uh, we've just been rambling about weird stuff for a while. E yeah, but it's basically... Well, not my only chance to talk about Castlevania, but one of the few I'll get... I, I might talk about it again in the future with someone else, I don't know. Yeah. We'll just have to see how schedules line up, but did I really learn anything about Castlevania now that I think well, about it? Well, you learned a little bit. It's it's a simple series. It's got, it just takes a few, like, it's always got the same core concept. Most of the games, with the exception of some of the new ones, don't really innovate the wheel and don't really do anything, like, crazy, crazy amazing and baffling. They're just good video games that know exactly what to do in order to be good video games. Uh, fair enough. Well, do you have any plugs or shilling you'd like to do um play play blood Saint, apparently it's pretty good i'll be picking that up at some point soon i should have picked it up sooner but you know money yeah okay uh as for me just keep following the bitcast on twitter and follow the show on podcast one's website and mobile app and you can also find the episodes on itunes or whatever the equivalent is nowadays and you'll be able to just keep up with whatever I'm talking about as I'm talking about it. That said, uh, see you on the next one. Listen to BidCast anytime on PodcastOne.com and on the Podcast One app.